Psalm 126, we're going to be reading the whole psalm, and I'll read verses 1 through 3, and then you respond with verses 4 through 6. The psalmist writes, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, throughout these four weeks of Advent, we have been walking through these psalms that cry out to God for restoration. Two weeks ago, Pastor Carl preached on the powerful threefold refrain of Psalm 80. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Last Sunday, Pastor Amanda preached on Psalm 85. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. Show us your unfailing love and grant us your salvation. And this Sunday, we hear the short prayer of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the desert. Fill us with joy. You showed favor to our ancestors in days of old. Now show favor to us so that we may return with songs of joy. These psalms, when we read them, it's not hard to think of them in the time of Israel's history after the return from exile in Babylon. This past summer, we walked as a congregation through the book of Jeremiah, the prophet's powerful call to God's people to repent and turn from their wicked ways. But the people did not listen, and so God sent Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who made war against God's people, laid siege to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem fell. The temple was destroyed, and God's people were taken into an exile that would last for 70 years. And it's sometimes easy for us to think that this is where the Old Testament ends, with God's people in exile, waiting for restoration, wondering whether God will keep his promises. But that's not where it ends. The historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the prophecies of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all of these books are written after God's people are returned from exile. According to the book of Daniel and other historical documents, King Cyrus of Persia conquers Babylon without a fight in a single night, taking the city and killing its ruler, Belteshazzar. And King Cyrus looks with favor on the exiled people of God and writes an edict granting them safe passage to their homeland, restoring them to the promised land. The Psalms of, 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 
The Psalms of Ascent, including Psalm 126, recall the incredible circumstances of Israel's restoration from exile, the long and difficult road that the people of God took through the desert. The biblical writers recognize the amazing circumstances of Israel's restoration. Isaiah 45 verse 1 calls King Cyrus God's anointed, the Hebrew word Messiah. The people of God recognized that these amazing circumstances could not be attributed to fate or to fortune. This was the hand of God at work. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, when the Lord returned the captives of Jerusalem, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues danced with songs of joy. Even the nations recognized the powerful work of God. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. These psalms of ascent are pilgrim songs, traveling songs. The songs of a people who are on a journey and have not yet reached their final destination. The songs of a people remembering God's faithfulness even while they walk a long and difficult road. In the time of Jesus, these psalms of ascent were sung by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, to celebrate the great feast of the Passover. The songs of a people on a journey traveling to the city of God to worship at the place where God lives with his people in peace. Traveling to the mountain of the Lord to offer their sacrifices and worship their God. This past May, Pastor Amanda and I were privileged to go on a biblical study tour through the Middle East. And one day of the journey we spent walking the path that these pilgrims would have walked, walking the Jericho Road, which stretches from the ancient city of Jericho all the way to Jerusalem along the Kilt Wadi, a little valley that sometimes has a stream, but usually is desert. We walked a very small portion of this road, from the Jericho Dig to St. George's Monastery, And it was pretty universally agreed by everyone on the trip that that was the hardest thing we did the entire trip. And we climbed mountains, so that puts it in a little bit of perspective. The Jericho Road is carved out of the side of a steep valley. A wall of rocks on one side and a plummeting ditch to the left. It's a narrow road carved into the side of a cliff. And it's in a desert. A few tufts of brown grass, the occasional marmot, and that's all the life that you see. Cliffs and caves and stones all around. This is the setting of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, a dangerous, difficult road full of trouble. And the heat, oh man. The heat is inescapable. There's no shade, there's no trees, there's no life. And 
the sun just pounds on this valley, pounding heat, oppressive heat. As the sun bakes the rocks of the valley and radiates heat from every surface. And the Bible isn't joking when it says that people go up to Jerusalem. Because from Jericho to Jerusalem, the elevation rises by about a thousand meters, about a kilometer. It's a long and difficult road. And this is the road that people would take to go worship God in Jerusalem. Israelites from all over would make this pilgrimage up this long, winding, hot, rocky desert road, traveling with their families, with their kids. This is likely the path that Joseph and Mary walked on their way to Bethlehem, with Mary eight or nine months pregnant, if you can imagine that. This is the road that people walked on their way to Jerusalem. And on the way, they sang the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of going up to Jerusalem. The songs of climbing. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, because you don't have any actual shade. The sun will not harm you by day. The moon will not harm you by night. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Let us go up to the house of the Lord. I lift my eyes up to you, to you who sit enthroned in the heavens. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn apart in this terrible valley. This terrible, dangerous valley. We have escaped like a bird from a trap. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. May the Lord bless you from Zion, the maker of heaven and earth. These are the songs of God's pilgrim people walking the desert road, wandering through the wilderness, longing to see the city of God and worship in the presence of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you look at Psalm 126 in your Bibles, you, you'll notice two footnotes in verse 1 and verse 6. Our Bible translates verse 1, brought back the captives. Or, sorry, verse 1 and verse 4. Translates verse 1, brought back the captives, and verse 4, restore our fortunes. And that's to capture the fact that there's actually two words in two different Hebrew manuscripts that are very similar. They differ only by one vowel, which is a dot under a letter in the Hebrew. So one version has the dot, one version has a different dot. The word for fortune and the word for captive are very close. And this was known even in ancient times, and you can read sermons from like Augustine and John Calvin where they talk about this, this word being different in the two uh, textual traditions. It doesn't really change the meaning, but it is interesting that restore our fortunes or brought back the captives 
are the two ways of reading this psalm. It doesn't change the meaning for us much, but it does point us to the idea that this psalm is talking about the return from exile in Babylon. And this would have definitely been what people walking up to Jerusalem would have called to mind when they sang this psalm. The return from exile was for Israel a miraculous display of God's power. After 70 years in captivity, God's people were restored to the land. But we know from the post-exilic books that life was not easy for the people who returned. They faced the difficult task of reconstruction, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall. They faced opposition from their neighbors and from the Samaritans who had remained in the land. They faced difficult political negotiations as they tried to reestablish their place in the land. Ezra tells us that when the new temple was rededicated, there was a great celebration. But the very elderly who had returned, who still remembered the original temple from 70 years before, wept because the new temple was so small. Because Israel had still not been restored to the glory that it once knew, to the favor that it once had from God. And Ezra tells us that the cries of weeping could not be distinguished from the shouts of joy, from the sound of celebration. And this is the reality of life in this world. Everywhere, joy is mingled with grief. We sing the carols of Christmas in a minor key. We count the years that it has been since we lost someone we loved, by how many Christmases we've had to celebrate without them. The Venerable Bede, a pastor in England in the eighth century, writes that even the greatest joy that we experience in this life is nothing but a shadow. Anyone who strives toward eternal joy, toward heavenly joy, recognizes the tears and distress of the present. And so we rightly weep and lament and are sorrowful in the present because we are not yet capable of seeing the one whom we love. We are not yet capable of experiencing the true joy that comes from God. Even for those of us who have received the Holy Spirit of redemption, who strive in this present age toward God's promise of eternal life, recognize that we are but pilgrims on a journey, that we have not yet reached the kingdom, the eternal home toward which we strive. But still, we strive. We strive through the sorrow. We strive through the difficulty with hope for the joy of the Lord because we know that his promises are sure. We know that his word cannot be broken. We know that he is faithful and true. So 
Psalm 126 ends with an image of a farmer. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. The psalmist compares this present life to a farmer going out to sow his seed at great cost, burying this valuable food in the ground. John Calvin, in his commentary on this psalm, writes about how when there is a shortage of wheat or a shortage of corn, it is difficult for a farmer to commit his seed to the ground because the seed costs so much. But the farmer must plant the seed, even though it comes at a great cost. Because without the seed, there is no harvest. If he keeps the seed to eat, he will have nothing. And Calvin says that in the same way, there are things in our lives which cost much, which cost us much. And so they cause us sorrow. They cause us pain. They cost us tears. Economic struggle, broken relationships, sickness, death. These things are costly. And they cause us pain. This is our Jericho Road. Our path through the desert our pilgrimage down a long and dangerous road. But we sow the seeds of our tears in the soil of God's grace, in the soil of God's faithfulness. And so we journey with hope, knowing that we will see the joy that has been promised us. We do not believe that God has abandoned us any more than a farmer believes that his grain is lost because he has thrown it in the ground. We know that God will make good on his promises. We know that God is faithful and true. We know that we will reap a harvest of joy. In the words of the Apostle Paul, nearing the end of his life on earth, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there lies in store for me the crown of justice, which the Lord, the just judge, will award me on that day and to all who have longed for his appearing. In this life we long for the appearance of the Lord. We sing Psalm 126 in a Christmas mode. When the Son of God came to earth, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues danced with songs of joy. Even the nations proclaimed, the Lord has done great things for his people. The Lord has sent us his Son. And we are filled with joy. 
we are filled with joy. Come again, Lord Jesus. And make us bloom like streams in the desert. Take our tears that we sow and bring a harvest of joy for we who go out weeping carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy will return carrying a harvest of joy in our journey down the Jericho road we put our hope in the promises of our God, on the long and steep and dangerous climb, we lift our eyes to the hills, knowing that our God walks alongside of us, even when we cannot feel his presence, causing the seeds of our tears to grow and flourish so that we may bring home a harvest of joy. Those who go out sowing tears of sorrow will return carrying with them a harvest of joy. This is our promise. And this is our prayer. How long, O oh Lord? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said,